0: Hi, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome to Books and Beyond. We spoke to Lisa Ray, who needs no introduction. So she's written a book about her life, which is called Close to the Bone. And this is one of the best memoirs I've ever read. And in her own words, it really does not fall under the category of, you know, that typical
1: fluffy celeb memoir. It's so much more than that. And you know what I loved about our conversation, Tara, was that she had absolutely no attitude. And I remember the day you got her number, Michelle. Yeah, and I got her number from Ria Mukherjee, who is a mentor at our retreat. So, I mean, from Ria, I got to know that Lisa is so down to earth and, you know, she's so talented. So it's just, it was amazing talking to her.
0: It was a real pleasure. And, you know, we asked her about her writing process, you know, her writing routine, what it was like to write about her parents' love story, which is so fascinating because she's half... Polish, half Bengali, and then she grew up in Canada.
1: Yeah, and also, like, you know, a lot of people wonder has she ghostwritten her book? She hasn't. We were short of it, but we're happy to confirm. There are so many aspects of Lisa Ray out there, but on this episode, find out about Lisa Ray, the writer.
0: Today, we are very, very excited to have with us Lisa Ray. She needs no introduction. She... No, I think I need an introduction, actually. <laughs> well, she's she was a supermodel. She is now an author. Um, She's an actor. Can she's I a rewrite writer. that a little bit? Of course, go <laughs> ahead. I'm a questing
2: soul. Definitely
0: a writer.
2: I think, you know, if today, if you had to ask me, what's your bio? What's your CV? Which already I'm very reluctant to share because I do feel that it always kind of uh, restricts us and labels us. Right. But I would say writer first and foremost. That's Because amazing. I've been writing yeah. my whole damn life. And it just so happens that some other stuff got in the way. <laughs> and I've been identified with that. But, you know, now is finally my time to break through. And book lover, of course, bibliophile.
0: I mean, that's what we were kind of wondering, you know. Exactly. Um, because, I mean, you mentioned in the book how much you love writing. So you're mm-hmm. wondering if not acting and modeling, would you have been a writer?
2: Yes, I am a writer. You are? I mean, like when you (laughs) uh,
0: started... Yeah, I think I've
2: been pretty... I've been very candid about that in the book and I've been candid about a lot of things in Close to the Bone. But one of the primary things was how my career in front of the camera is really an accident. And that's not even metaphorical. It's literally happened on the basis of an accident. And that I was... For most of my youth, was trying to figure out a profession in which I would have the least possible contact with human
0: beings. (laughs) (laughs) And I came up with writer. Uh, Yeah, as book lover, as we relate. Aside from the fact that I love books as well, you know,
2: and words and stuff like that. So, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, obviously, I guess I've been a little bit derailed only by maybe about 40 years or so, but (laughs) here I am finally circling back and, you know, committing myself to, I think, what is my primary passion and my primary calling? But also having said that, it's interesting to reflect that are you a writer only if you're published or yeah. can you be considered a writer if you simply write yeah, that's throughout your one. life, right? Yeah. And that's yes. what I've been doing throughout my life. And yes, like
1: you've been writing journals and like, you know, we just loved how you always love words, you know? So then mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned that you're an introvert. So how did you find the courage to reveal it all, Lisa?
2: I think you can be an introvert and you can, at the same time, be on the side of truth-telling or Mm. be extremely candid or be on the side of, you know, uh, wanting to uh, seize my own narrative. And for me, Close to the Bone represents a few things. For me, I don't even necessarily see it as a memoir. Obviously, we have to define books and genres and things like that. So, yeah, sure, it's a memoir. But I see it, first of all, as a writing debut. And that was something that I seized, that opportunity. I said, okay, well, this is great. I would have loved to begin with a novel, but to be perfectly honest, this is the opportunity that presented itself. And you know, the way that the world works today, obviously a lot of people would have been even more skeptical about me writing a novel. Now I think I can segue after Close to the Bone into probably writing fiction um, a bit smoother than than perhaps to start out with. So I, I saw this as as a platform to launch myself as a writer. But secondly, also, and perhaps as significantly to seize my narrative and to be able to tell my story. And that's really significant as a woman, I think as someone who's been labeled throughout my entire life. I mean, look, we're living through an era now where fortunately it is for anybody today a lot easier to seize your narrative, right? Mm -hmm. To take control of your narrative with social media. You know, that's what I'm referring to. When I started in 1991, social media was not even, uh, you know, a thought in anyone's head, you know? Um, It was so far out of the realm of possibility. And so, what I struggled with, and I've been, again, very candid about it in my book, is not just identity issues, which comes from me being of a mixed racial background, born in Canada with a Bengali father, Polish mother, and then and we ending love up the fact that India. your
0: eyes are actually uh, that you know, got your eyes from, from your my father, father from
2: my father's side of the family. Right. I know four out of eight of them have light eyes, you <laughs> know, amazing. in this in this yeah, big sprawling yeah. Bengali family. Yeah. So, you know, uh but I was sort of the victim of labeling. I think as a lot of young women are in many different industries, but I am obviously particularly referring to the entertainment industry. I think that it's an industry that is really um, infamous for stereotyping and typecasting in particular women and in particular the era when I started in the 90s where I think I referred to there were only basically two stereotypes that a woman could fall into either you were the virginal heroine or you were the vamp yeah. that was it imagine yeah. that there were no other shades yeah. Such that a were permitted yeah. that were permitted it was a very black and white world and even though I started out in advertising which was a lot more liberal I started out, with this tag of being a sex symbol, you know, which is also fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it never tells your whole story.
1: Yeah. yeah. And with a book, you actually could do that. Like you told your own story. So that's yeah. great. But what's next, Lisa? Like, are you working on something like a fiction project? Well, I'm really gratified and
2: very proud to share that I've signed on to write three more books.
1: Oh, wow. That's amazing. With, Congratulations. Yeah,
2: With my publisher, HarperCollins. So these are novels? uh, Not all of them. There will definitely be one fiction in the mix, um, but I can't really, obviously it's too premature to talk about all of that. You know, it's also the worst thing that you can ask a writer. Or for yeah. that matter, an actor. So what's next? So what's next? You know, it's honestly the, yeah. the, the one question that I think that you dread the most as a creative person, because sometimes we just don't know what next or it's just sort of we need time to marinate. But yeah, I'm very happy to be able to share that because obviously this is significant. It obviously is setting, you know, a new trajectory for my professional creative life. And I'm also, though, very happy to share that Close to the Bone has been picked up by Penguin North America.
0: So, I mean, I really like what you said about how, you know, women were stereotyped. And then sort of with this book, you're calling yourself a writer and you're taking back some of those labels and reclaiming mm-hmm. it for yourself. I mm-hmm. found that very empowering. So I was very curious to know, you know, because a book is so dense and you've covered so many things in it.
1: Yeah, what was actually, the writing
0: process like? How long did it take you? How many drafts did you do? Um,
2: Now we get into the nitty gritty. That's good.
0: <laughs> so... <laughs> It, it there's a
2: an interesting and unusual trajectory behind this book, and I'll try to like, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to make it a little bit brief. So initially, Close to the Bone, before it was known as Close to the Bone, was commissioned by a publisher out of Canada. And this was way back in 2010. After I had publicly announced my diagnosis of multiple myeloma uh, from the red carpet at the Toronto International Film Festival, and also on the basis of a blog that I started writing to chronicle my cancer experiences called The Yellow Diaries. Um, Now, that was really significant and a bit of a breakthrough moment for me because, as I said, I've always been a writer, but I never really put it out there. I never even considered writing a blog, and this was like the early days of blogs. Remember, it was 2010. And it was my way of processing what I was going through. I didn't necessarily do it for any particular reason, certainly not to derive attention from it. It was an attempt to piece together and maybe also to marry the two worlds that I was always straddling and that were always kind of never quite, you know, they were existing in parallel, which was my public life and my private life. And it was not until I made that public announcements of my cancer diagnosis um, that they actually diverged, that they actually intersected and met, not diverged, that they intersected. So anyways, on the basis of that, I was offered this book deal. So again, I grabbed it. I said, fab, okay, great. Now this is a whole new life and cancer obviously gives you that perspective. You know, you throw out all the old stuff. Um, So I ended up writing a draft, a manuscript, and I ended up feeling A lot of pressure to deliver it very quickly as in I sat down with the marketing department in this boardroom full of suits and they said, okay, so cancer memoirs sell really well in April.
0: Oh, my God. Oh my. Yeah. And you can you imagine how yeah.
2: as a writer, I felt so crushed and harrowed uh, by it and confused right. because on one hand, of course, the editorial department was very, very supportive of me. And then on the other hand, it's still a business, right? Exactly. Like everything. And then you're sitting in there, as I said, with a boardroom <laughs> full of people in suits. And this was my first experience with the world, with the literary world and and publishing. And I still wanted to please. So I ended up giving them a manuscript. And then I realized that it was not the book. I literally had that small, quiet voice in the back of my head that I've written about also in Close to the Bone that whenever I listen to always
1: guides me right, say, this is not the book, take it back. So I ended up withdrawing the manuscript. Yeah. And we found that amazing, actually, that you withdrew it and, you know, like you had a bigger vision for the book.
2: I did, you know, and I realized that there was no reason to do it unless I could do it well and properly, according to, you know, and aligned with who I am and what I wanted to achieve. So I sat on it for years and years and years. And first, initially, they were very patient with me. They thought I was just being eccentric. And then obviously they lost patience. And in the end, you know, a lot of things also happened in the end, you know, between delivering my manuscript or withdrawing my manuscript and actually where the book is today. I relapsed. I got married. I, you know, moved countries, ended up moving to Hong Kong, et cetera, et cetera. So by the time I really sort of, hold focus again on the book. I was close to India. I ended up finding a lit agent in India who really understood my vision and was very, so very important. supportive, mm-hmm. which is really essential. This is something that I, I don't know if other writers have ever spoken about this. Mm-hmm. And it might be different on you know from person to person, but I felt that that was one of the most elementary things that has helped me. Mm. So Jaya, who's based in Bangalore, Jaya Vasudevan came on board and she ended up selling the book to HarperCollins India. And I feel extremely happy about that. And Dia, who's my editor at HarperCollins, has been extremely also supportive and so supportive, in fact, that obviously she's extended this very generous offer to me to publish three more books. So it was quite, journey now I ended up spending almost a year and a half rewriting (laughs) (laughs) it was about a year and a half of rewriting and strangely I realized that even though I need like I call India's my heartbeat you know Uh, like India is like the hot blood pumping the inspiration you know Mm. but when it comes to actually sitting down and writing, I need a slightly more cool environment, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I found that I was really it was hard for me to write, especially in Bombay, so I ended up rewriting in uh, in Hong Kong
0: so what's your writing desk like?
2: My writing desk can be pretty I mean there's a lot of memento mori going on in my <laughs> writing desk there's a lot of little obscure things everywhere, like little triggers the one thing that I'm guilty of is I keep printing out successive drafts. Like I, I, and so there's a lot of paper. I mean, the only good thing is that I print out like double-sided, you know, that's my only, and I, you know, it's maybe something now when I work on the next book, I have to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of paper normally. There's little items that are significant to me that trigger me. Um, That's it. I have quite a large desk right now and I'm actually graduating to a slightly smaller desk. Okay. Um, A beautiful desk. So this was my one wish list last year. And I went to this um, beautiful furniture store here in Bombay called Baro.
1: So how many hours a day do you actually write?
2: So to be honest, to get through um, close to the bone, it was a little bit obsessive. And it wasn't always the most disciplined schedule. Like I worked on it every single day. And sometimes what would happen is I would work on it all night. And then I'd be a wreck in the day. And then, you know, so my schedule was sort of all over the place. And sometimes what I found was essential to me was taking a walk. So I have years and years and years of diaries. And that also formed a little bit of the backbone of the book, which is why I was able to like fill it out and detail it. And I layered it in the detail. You know, obviously there's a, like a skeleton, there's a bare skeleton in terms of structure. And I had an editor help me with the structure. That's where I needed the most amount of help, really. Um, And then several drafts and I continuously layered in and drawing on, you know, memories and journals.
1: And we like the poems in your book. And we also read that you have done this course, like how to write poetry. So are you you intending to, you know, come out with a poetry collection anytime, like maybe five years down the line?
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to add is that I have been writing a fair amount of poetry over the last... um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. um,
2: I would invite you to read a little bit of it. I would be so honored. I've actually uploaded some of it onto Instagram, not under my name. It's called, it's under Protest Poet.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, we will check that out.
2: You know what? I wanted to add, you know, something that would terrify me and maybe that I would like to work on, but I'm still not sure the introvert in me kind of shrinks away is uh, spoken word. Spoken word is really interesting. Obviously, it's a new way of expressing, but there's still one part of me that the reason why I love writing is because it's solitary.
0: So, I mean, there were so many interesting incidents that stood out for me uh, Mm. in the book. One of them was, you know, when you were jogging and that's how you got discovered. I found that so interesting. And the other thing is your parents' love story. Mm. So what was it like writing about that?
2: That was really interesting to me. And for me, it was... Maybe the most unexpected experience writing about my parents' love story because, you know, I think every family has a kind of mythology about, you know, we all carry these little family legends. This is how my parents met or this is what happened and this is where, you know, Mm -hmm. every family has that. But and I had the same, but I never really dug deeper. You know, you just sort of accept these things. But now when I'm writing a book, I had to like almost fact check. And really confront my father, because of course my mom is no more, um, but confront my father about a lot of the things that I had carried around a lot of these stories. And it was interesting because even then I had to do it gently with him and like slowly, you know, step by step, the story would come out. And there were two interesting, really, really interesting incidents, I think. Number one is... I knew that they had been writing love letters back and forth, which is so fascinating when you don't speak each other's language. That's so sweet. But he never, and I finally like literally pinned my father down. He said, how did you understand each other's language? Like, how was mom writing to you in English when she didn't speak a word of English? So finally it came to light that there was an Irish woman living in that little hamlet in which she lived, who was married to a local guy who was translating back and forth. (laughs) I never would have understood. I mean, that detail would have never come to light if I hadn't pushed and prodded, you know. And the other thing, of course, is that I think when we're young and spiky and arrogant and, you know what I mean, and sort of self-centered, we think that, I'm the first of my kind, you know, I'm a rebel and nobody can understand me and only I have the guts to do this. But it was while I was writing the book that I realized a so-called unconventional approach towards life or, you know, what someone else might define as rebellious was laid in me by my parents. They were the ultimate rebels. But it's often hard for us to see our parents that way, (laughs) you know, especially when we're younger, of course, you know, we don't necessarily. But when I really unraveled and I saw their story in totality, and then you put it into context for the times that they were living in, they were the ultimate rebels. They were the badasses
1: at the time. (laughs) Yeah, like from different places and moving to Canada, it's not easy at all. And giving up everything. And in those times, like in the
2: 60s, you know, it was really, really hard to do. Very few people were doing that.
1: That's amazing.
0: So, yeah, actually, we were wondering, uh, you know, at the end of this whole process, what would you want your readers to take away from the book? What was the objective, uh, Mm. apart from, you know, chronicling your own life story and adding in your perspective? What would you want Mm. readers to learn from this book?
2: I don't know that I wrote the book with anything specifically in mind. I certainly do hope that it paints a portrait of the ability to challenge uh, what life defines as success, the ability to challenge all notions of what it means to be in a woman, to be a woman today, and to, you know, to figure out, find your um, voice in the world. But there's no sort of neat conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think life is messy yeah, it and is. it's more interesting, messy. <laughs> That's yeah, also, it's yeah. more like just a portrait. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't want there to be any. To be honest, I don't want there to be a neat conclusion out of it. And I think right. that people seem to be drawing or different parts of the book resonate mm. with different people.
1: And like I was I was just telling Tara, but it's, it's just amazing how you spoke about your eating disorder because honestly, yeah. like nowadays, especially like young girls are so much, uh, you know, influenced by social media and yeah. they don't even know what's real. So we just love how women you were ourselves.
0: Honest. I mean, there's so much pressure to look a certain way. Exactly. Or conform. Yeah. yeah.
1: And
2: it was really important for me to highlight This kind of um, palace of illusions that I was living in uh, during the height of my fame, where in a sense, society was rewarding me for very unhealthy habits and behavior, right? Like the more that my health suffered, the thinner I've got. The, you know, the more um, I conformed to people's ideas of what is beauty and what, you know, a woman should look like and how she should behave and dress and all of that, the more I was rewarded. And that set me on the path of calling bullshit, basically, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which is very empowering and liberating, not easy. Not easy. But I think that we're living through an era where fortunately, and this is what I'm looking at, like both of you as the next generation of women out there are able to take control of your narrative and question all those inherited scripts, you know, finally, which is really not easy to do 30 years ago.
1: Right. Yeah. And talking about community, Lisa, like how it's important to have conversations. Like in the book, you mentioned that Tashani Doshi, the writer, is your Mm, friend. So like how important do you think community is to a writer and what kind of support have you had? I have
2: always cultivated the company of writers, even when I was very young. I mean, I had a really funny conversation with someone, actually, uh, when my book was launching. It was very surreal to me. And they said, listen, Here's what you got to do. You have to get all your celebrity friends to like <laughs> upload a video of them with your book and it'll be a bestseller That's funny. And I paused and I said, "But I don't have any celebrity friends. Oh what, no, <laughs> what makes you think I have celebrity friends? <laughs> and that is a, the truth, you know, that only a writer, especially when you're literally in your head, yes. and nobody else can understand yeah. um. We get it. <laughs> yeah and then aside from that, now, during the promotion of the book, for instance, there's things that I'm experiencing that only also other writers would understand, and I've been also writing close to the bone has now brought me closer to a community of of particularly female writers over the last few months that that really nurture and sustain me like and Doshi right. and you know these incredible women. That um,
0: so actually, you know, it's it's interesting because your book, as we mentioned, is so dense, and you've incorporated so many different aspects of mm. your life into it, and you've been very candid. But is there anything that you left out?
2: <laughs> Nothing really significant, to be honest. You know, obviously there would have been even a lot more, but it's already four hundred bloody pages. <laughs> I had to stop. I had to stop it's just, you know, I guess, reflecting back on it, I've had a colorful life, for sure. And, you know, it's a process of editing and curating and being able to tell a compelling story and candid story and uh, truthful story. And yeah, I mean, there's some details that have been left out, but nothing hugely significant. to be honest yeah
1: yeah and and as you mentioned you've had a colorful life like we just loved the way you traveled around the world like honestly (laughs) (laughs) on a whim yeah (laughs) yeah so which is that one place you would you like you know you would say that is the ideal place for a writer out of all the places that you've visited Mm,
2: for me personally Italy
1: oh why why so
2: I don't know. I think the Italians are a bit mad. (laughs) They actually have a lot of respect for artists as well.
1: No wonder Jumpa Lahiri also loves Italy. So I was just reading recently how she was like drawn to the place because, you know, it's very good for writers.
2: Oh, yes, of course. I mean, she loved it so much. She relocated there, right? I read that book as well that she wrote that was Irish and Italian. In other words, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Well, she's one of my idols as well. (laughs) Jumpa, if
0: you're listening, coming for you. I'm coming yeah. for you one day. <laughs> so what you are know, you reading right now? Do you have any book recommendations for our listeners? Oh my gosh. I actually have gone
2: uh, back to reading a lot over the last little while, but let me try to focus. I mean, of course, I loved Avni's book, uh, Girl mm. in White Cotton. Yeah, we
0: loved it. Yeah. Too. Yeah, really, we really, them. really
2: yeah. uh, striking book. Very mm. striking book. I actually, uh, I read Elif Shafak's mm. book. 10 minutes, 38 seconds in The Strange World.
1: Oh, how was it? Like I really
2: enjoyed it. it. I, I love her work, though. I love her work. Um, Deborah Levy, The Man Who Saw Everything. Okay. Fabulous book. Really, you know, it's a relatively thin novel. I love her work, but she's very confounding and at the same time, very seductive. So I like work like that. And... Um, I'm actually reading another friend of mine's book, uh, Diksha Basu, oh. um, The Windfall.
0: I've read that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I didn't get a chance to read it before. And I know that uh, Diksha is working on another book. So <laughs> I'm reading that. And uh, oh, there's that lovely. I picked up that graphic novel by Amruta Patil. Uh, what is it called? Okay. It's fabulous, though. It's really, really right. dreamy and, right. myth you know, sort of mm. uh, mythical. Mm. And I do love stuff like that as well.
0: So one of the things that we really liked reading about was your whole spiritual journey. Oh. Um, and, you know, you were exposed to so many different kinds of religions. So we were wondering, could you talk to us a little bit about that? And mm-hmm. uh, what's your current... Uh,
1: yeah, like any book spiritual recommendations. status quo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's your current... <laughs>
2: I'm glad that you highlighted that because it's been a very strong thread in my life, and it continues to be and perhaps you know I'm not as much of an active seeker as I was when I was younger, but I think that that's sort of a natural evolution that you know there's been a lot of external seeking in my life, a lot of questioning, and that's been embedded in me in in me that um kind of uh a compulsion to question um, ever since I can remember. So, uh, you know, it really formed a really big part of shaping me, of healing me as well, uh, particularly going to Dharamshala and where I ended up going into a meditation retreat in a place called Tushita.
0: Would you have any uh, book recommendations for people who want to know more about spirituality? A couple of people
2: that have helped me along the path are Pema Chodron. Uh, she's just fantastic. She's an American Tibetan Buddhist nun who's written some incredible works like When Things Fall Apart. Um, beautiful perspective. I like Tara Brach as well. Jack Cornfield. These are very well known. I mean, all of these teachers, are American by birth, but they've all really committed themselves to an Eastern tradition. A lot of them have lived in India for many years and many years ago, I'm talking about in the 70s, and they had their gurus and things like that. And then they took their teachings and went back. And why I find them very helpful is because they're teaching for a contemporary age, right?
1: Yeah. So coming back to your book, Lisa, uh, you know, we just loved how you were so honest about your romantic relationships. Mm. And, you know, it made me wonder, like, did you ever worry that, you know, they would have an objection to the way you portrayed them in the book? Because, uh, you know, like I was just telling Tara about mm. Taslima Nasrin when she came out with her memoirs. Mm. You know, there was a huge there was a backlash. Huge backlash. Exactly. Yes, yes. So what was your experience? I wrote the like? book
2: that she wrote in response to the backlash after that. Right. There was another book that came after that. It was interesting. It's so weird you bring that up because I remember I had that book with me while I was finishing my last draft. (laughs) And and why I remember because I remember her also writing her retorts in that book as to how the Bengali intelligentsia treated her, you know. She had a very tough time. She had a really tough time. So um, maybe there was a fleeting thought, but I have obviously been... I've tried to be a little bit sensitive and discerning. Um, the one I've changed two, three names, okay. you know, because, you know, life has moved on. I'm talking about a lot of the stuff has happened 20 years ago and uh, everybody's moved on. But, you know, other than that, no, I don't care. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it's yeah. my, yeah, it's, it's my story own it's your as receiver. I, yeah, exactly. It's as I remember it as well through my own filter. Um, so you can't argue with that, right?
0: And speaking of, you know, the reception to the book, before the book came out, what were you feeling? What were you going through?
2: To be honest, I was so bloody exhausted from living in the book and, you know, breathing the book that I just, I wanted it to get out there. I was in a bit of a blur. Um, There isn't a template yet for my book in India, I would be so bold to say, because you have celebrity memoirs. And I would also again, be so bold to say that it's not really a celebrity memoir. If you're buying Close to the Bone, believing that it's just a celebrity memoir, you going to be disappointed. And at the same time, I had to make sure it got to the audience that it's actually directed to, which is it's a little bit more layered and meaty and a little bit of what I call a travelogue of the soul. But in order to do that, at the end of the day, I have to stand there in front of people and say that, this you know, this is
0: what it is. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah right. I have to. I have to be. But, and, and I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed doing yeah. the Lit Fest circuit. That's also a new world for me. And I've, I've really relished doing that. But I'm also drawing a line under the book now in yeah. January after Jaipur. That
0: yeah. it's over. And
2: then it's, it's really over because you hold space for it. And, you know, I'm sort of moving into the next book and taking a lot of notes and I should even be writing it right now but I'm also trying to be a little gentle with myself as well because it's unrealistic to do that when I'm traveling and promoting another book.
1: Best of luck I mean with your next projects we would love to read. Yeah yeah and uh, like we heard that you're recording an audio version of your book how has Mm -hmm. that experience been like?
2: It's been great. See that's another thing that's pulled me back into the book recently right and I did to an extent sort of Create a little bit of distance with the book. Like, I haven't even, like, you know, not necessarily reread it or anything like that, because you have to. Otherwise, I'll be editing in my head
1: (laughs) as I go through it.
2: And this is the problem. While I've been doing the audiobook, I've been editing in my head (laughs) and understanding, oh, God, shit, I should take out that. And that could have been better. You know, I think that that's endless, right? That's sort of the cross we bear (laughs) as writer. But I might get a a chance to edit slightly with the North American release. As in, I'm not
0: adding anything. I would just
2: cut a few things. That's it. Just streamline a little bit.
0: And so I wanted to know about the title of the book. How did you choose that? Oh, that's a good
2: story. So my initial title was More Beautiful for Having Been Broken. Oh, uh, I do. Like yeah. I actually, liked it a lot. Yeah, like my that. publisher was like,
0: <laughs> too long. Too long. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you know what? In a sense, I'm glad that they pushed me because I was very sulky about it first as well. And I was trying to fight for that other title. So, you know, when it's pulled away from you and you have no other choice, and I did not want anyone else to come up with the title, I ended up, I was actually writing, believe it or not, a press note for the book mm-hmm. because I said again, you know, it had to be so carefully crafted. Also the messaging around the book. Not everyone will understand that, but it was important to me and the people who do understand that under, you know, it landed with them. So anyway, so I was crafting actually a note about the book. And while I was writing it, I came out with this phrase, you know, this is sort of something about emotions live close to the bone. Mm. And then I, you know, stopped and I said, Oh my God, maybe that should be the
1: a lot of people think that celeb memoirs are ghostwritten. so like have you been asked Exactly. well there you go i had a lot of people say did she actually what do they you don't mean even when come you, to me when directly you know
2: <laughs> like why um you know again this is part of our you know it's reshaping and reforming narratives and perspectives in life right reforming ourselves um and you know, I, I mean, I'm not on a trip of trying to sell myself in any particular way. I'm just here I am, but, you know, I have to be accurate about who I am, you know. Um, so, yeah, I found it amusing. As I said, I find it that's a huge compliment, isn't it? If someone's saying, it's so good, she couldn't have possibly written it. Like, <laughs> well, nice how else do you take it. that? But, but, but as a compliment, right? <laughs> Here's what I wanted to share um, I find it rather interesting. and. Maybe this will, um, here's where it's interesting, I think, to release a book in two different continents or two different cultures or two different parts of the world. You know, I mean, I'm really happy and it was always very important to me that Close to the Bone should be released in India first, obviously. But obviously there's a part of me that is also very North American. And here's why it's interesting. It'll be interesting for me to gauge the reaction in North America, because there are certain themes in the book that are not really picked up on in India.
0: Okay, like, like what?
2: For me, what I find is not spoken about a lot is the identity issues. Oh. Right. The mixed identity. The mixed identity issues. And it's fascinating because that's really not touched on a lot in my conversations in India. And I think it'll be different in North America. Exactly. Right. Because um, there's a lot more kids and people who struggle with identity. Oh, right. You know, I think in India, somehow or the other, we become a lot more solid in our identity here. Right right yeah. there, there's a solidity if anything you can rebel against your identity but you know who you are the where you're from thinking. the lineage yeah, yeah. you know the lineage can be traced mm. there's 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 a scaffolding of tradition that holds you up yeah so it's uh, not there in North America yes yeah, so right?
1: actually Jumpa Lahiri's work was like when I read her book The Namesake it was the first time I thought about immigration and you know my parents yeah. moving to the Gulf so yeah I can understand I think you have a bigger audience there yeah to understand the idea to understand
2: that particular yes. aspect so that's, yeah, of but the that's, book
1: that's, Quite interesting that that that
0: wasn't picked up here, and that you feel. Yeah, I've been
2: thinking about that over the last little while. I've been thinking about that, and that's the one thread that I think is also very fundamental to my story. And you know, I've I've banged on about it again and again and again, and how it's influenced me and how I struggled with it. But it's it's not often picked up on.
1: That's very
0: interesting,
2: actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Lisa, in another interview, you mentioned about you know the Japanese art of fixing broken cutlery by actually highlighting the flaws. And what we loved about your book was that you just spoke about all your flaws and just accepted it. So Mm. what would you like to tell, you know, young readers and writers out there who are afraid to make mistakes or Mm. afraid to, you know, fail in life?
2: Ah, Well, I think nobody has yet cracked a formula to get through life without failure or without disappointment or without pain. It is an aspect of the big, beautiful human mess and a human life. So I think that the quicker uh, we become more at ease with ourselves, with all the aspects of life, the, the dark, the shadow and the light, the better the chance we have of living an overall peaceful, happy, productive existence. And, you know, it's about getting real, really. It's about getting real. Because, you know, even this idea of saying that this is a flaw and, you know, and that this is good or this is bad and this is a success and this is a failure. These are all concepts of our mind.
0: So, Lisa, we would love it if you could read out a little excerpt from your book.
2: Uh, Okay, but this is from the prologue. The night I begin to step into myself, my shoes don't fit. Everything keeps slipping from my fingers that morning. The shampoo bottle, a teaspoon, my phone, suspended for one surging moment before landing with a clatter on the floor. I stare. Patty Smith is on my playlist today. Her rough, scarred voice cuts through the quiet as sunlight slopes in from a window. I sit on my bed and work through a line of heels pulled from my closet, trying them on one by one. They're all pretty and pointy and very bad for pelvic alignment, I've been told. And none of them fit. None. I always dreaded the red carpet. I had walked it at movie premieres in Toronto and LA, events in Bombay, and I always felt self-conscious. You have to think about how to tilt your head and how to suck in your non-existent gut while photographers click away. You are expected to look flawless ambition and expectation wrap around your skin, hug your form. But in the fall of 2009, I do have a gut, and it is swinging beneath a sari-inspired dress in royal purple, specially made for my new body. My costume designer friend Rashmi Varma dropped off the dress a couple of hours before the debut of my film, Cooking with Stella, at the Toronto International Film Festival. Then, one by one, I tried on pairs of heels from my closet. My feet are too bloated. That's what steroids do, and I've been knocking them back by the handful. Four days on, four days off. They've also turned my face into a large, round moon. I call this feeling of an extra elastic skin on top of my skin my wet suit. I sit on the couch and watch as my belly inflates before my eyes. I study my fingers. They look like cabanose, the sausages of my childhood. I marvel at my bloated thighs saying to my dad, Look at this. I'm expanding. Like a cartoon character. And now my feet are swollen too. For some reason, as I look down at my extra thick ankles, the gravity of the situation hits me. Two months ago, I had sat in a tiny supply closet of a room across from a jittery, rabid-faced doctor. He spoke very slowly, pausing a long time between each word as if to gauge my reaction. You have... Multiple myeloma.
0: That's haunting. I just feel like it's so much more powerful when you read it out loud. I I, I understand now why you're doing an audio version. Oh, really? It's (laughs) like visualizing it. I I mean, that was really beautifully said. Thank you. So thank you so much, Lisa, for thank you. talking to us and sharing your lovely insights with us. And thank you for being real in your book and in this conversation.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking books and I'll
0: come back anytime, anytime you invite me on.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: It was absolutely surreal getting to know Lisa and getting to know her as a writer. Everybody knows her as a successful model and actress, but no one knows who she is as a writer and it was so great finding that about her.
1: Yeah, and on our next episode, we are going to be talking to another interesting writer, the one and only Rajat Ubaikar. So he has written this unique book. It's his travelogue about traveling, you know, hitchhiking with truck drivers throughout India. And I can't wait to find out more, Tara. And it's not just a travelogue, but it's also a great study of this community.
0: So tune in next time if you want to find out all about Rajat's extraordinary journey.
1: Yeah, I hope you all enjoyed our conversation with Lisa Ray. And please do tune in next time. If you have any feedback, please do share it with us. We are on Insta, Facebook and Twitter at India.